Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. everybody welcome to another episode of true crime and cocktails we're so glad that you're here as always i am your host lauren ash and as always i am joined by my co-hostess with the most s christy oxborough how you feeling i just clapped so hard because i'm in mitts and i was trying to make up for now listen dear listeners if, if this sounds a little off if you think what's happening um this sounds different than it normally does that's because it does so it's halloween today and we had this bright idea of dressing up in costume. So we wanted to start the record with you seeing what we intended you to, which is our adorable um, couple's costume here, of course, as Steve Martin and John Candy in character in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Now, what we realized once we got these get-ups on is that, A, it feels Virtually impossible to get headphones over these wig caps, wigs, hats, etc. B, we're roasting hot in these multi-layers. I've got a, a, a overcoat and I'm in a full suit, like legs, legs, pants and all, pants and all. And then the other thing is, is we realized that Christie's coat is extremely loud. It is. So we it is like so if you're wondering, is any of this um a good idea? What we've determined in the last 20 minutes is. <laughs> yeah but right. we did want to start the show off as we intended in our halloween costumes for you go to our socials our instagram facebook uh twitter um and and check out if you want to if you're listening and you want to get a visual of how adorable we look go over there you can also go onto youtube to watch the episodes and you will be seeing this that we're recording now in real time um, if you'd like to see this as well, but that's, what's up. We're going to reset is the point we are. 
now that we've shown ourselves, we've expressed our whimsy and our art, we're going to just take a quick pause, completely, basically strip down, and then do the episode. You know what it is? And I said this to Christy earlier. I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> because we don't do anything halfway. Right. Yeah. Not even close. So, of course, if it's like, let's dress up as these characters for Halloween to record the show, we're like, hell yes. And both of us bring it. We go so hard. And then it's not until you get in the moment that you go, this is going to be wildly uncomfortable for an audio medium. <laughs> yeah. Like the bulk of our listeners listen to the show. Shocker. Um, you know, we do have people that watch on YouTube, but the numbers, if you're just looking statistically, it is staggering how many people um, choose to only listen. And that isn't yeah. staggering because it's a podcast. It's staggering when you think that then we would show up in full costumes that I'm going to go so far as to say 98%, 99% of our listeners will never see. We'll never see. Um, I think that's for the best, given how I don't feel like uh, mine ended up turning out at all like I planned. But uh, yeah, look. Is this necessary? No. Is this 100% who we are? Yeah. Am I relieved that next year Halloween is not on a Tuesday? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. Look, I'll fall on the sword. You were beautiful for trying to protect me, but I, I was the one who suggested it. It was her idea. It was my idea because I thought, why not? And then immediately I went, oh my God, what have I done? Point is, we have laughed harder doing this tonight than, I mean, that's what's worth it. It's worth it for yeah. the laughs. It's worth it for the chuckles. Yeah. And you came for the true crime, but you stayed for the chuckleheads. And that's what we're proving tonight. Yeah. You look like such an old-timey newscaster. This just in. Women are people. <laughs> you damn rights they are. Oh, she gets a mustache on. She gets real creepy. Yeah. I don't know how to treat people okay when I wear a mustache. I know. Listen, let's take a pause. Let's get comfortable to do our jobs. <laughs> yep. yep. We'll be right back, folks. <laughs> I just... We've made an inexplicable choice, dear listeners. <laughs> we had time. We could have completely changed... These two fucking freaks have decided <laughs> to do this record. Yep. In our wig caps with our with our man eyebrows and Christie's yep. very bold mustache. I've also yep. left my my uh dress shirt and tie on. And what Christy said to me in the break made me laugh so hard which was this lives on the internet forever 
sweet. Yeah. But I guess in a sense, if someone just stumbled across this, they could say to themselves, ooh, look at those weird creep characters they dressed as for Halloween. Sure. Couple of sure. creeps. Uh, I I guess I have the concern of someone coming across it and going, what is wrong with them? And then just like turn and go. And to that, I would say, listen to our back catalog and you'll get a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah, look, we come by it, honestly. We, we do. We are who we are. We are who we are. Oh, I am what I am. Um, we are who we are. We do what we do. We have a laugh. And uh, yeah. hopefully you do too. Yeah. That was a nice rhyme. It was. We are what we are. We do what we do. We have a laugh. We hope you do too. How aren't you writing for Hallmark at this point? Hallmark has a way to say we care. Always something in there. I like that. Always something rolling around in this noggin of mine. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Because of the horrific shade of this mustache, every once in a while I catch a glimpse of myself mm -hmm. and it looks like I'm I'm attempting a bald cap. Well, yeah. Yeah. It looks so like it just, we're it yeah. It it looks like I'm trying to be like a bald Hulk Hogan and it's not working out. Or is it? I don't know. I mean, isn't Hulk Hogan always bald? Is he? I mean, other than that one strip. Thank you for that. I'm just writing down that I mean, beautiful Hallmark quote of mine. Of course. Oh, I don't know how. I don't know. Why didn't I take out the mustache? Now, there's a question that you're not going to be able to answer in this moment. Because obviously we're recording this in advance of Halloween to release on Halloween. Um, which is our only opportunity to perform in wig caps. I, I can't stress that enough. We've been begging for this opportunity for years, and here we are, finally. Of course. Um, of course. My question is, and we're going to need a follow-up next week, so I'm just planting the seed. Oh, okay. I can't wait. Do the the Ding Dong Dash, Nicky Nicky Nine Doors, whatever you want to call it, kids that have been, I'll say it, harassing you? They have. They have. Do you think you recognize them enough by the face and now I know that you're not giving out candy. I know that you put the, the candy out, whatever. But do you think yeah. if you kept an eye out, you'd recognize them coming? And have you considered that if you leave that candy out there, those specific kids, bing bong, run. They may do it to, to F with you. Have you thought about that at all? Oh, I have considered it. Because they came, they irritated and then they left, and it was beautiful. And then they came back. And I snapped. They wait till the day that it's like they know that I've just mentally cracked yep. and I've hit my limit. Yeah. They they show up that day. Yeah, of course. Every time. Of course. Because that day happens often. Uh, where I'm just like, oh, I've hit my limit. I'm good. I'm good. And then they're like, knock. And then they run. Um, oh, I've considered keeping an eye out on whoever's coming to my home um, to ensure they get nothing. <laughs> I, it, it's, first of all, yes. Second of all, seeing you say it in the, we just, what a couple of 
weirdos. Like this is the oh, most this is bizarre choice we've ever made. It's it pushes even I think our boundaries. Yes, the amount of times I've already adjusted this when I could have just peeled it off. Yep, take it off. It's so wildly uncomfortable because it's one of those with like the little notch. So to fit on my lip, it's like up in there. It's Oh, God, but I worry about taking it off. Because then you're going to have a red upper lip. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) She's peeled it off, folks. Oh. I have a sticky. Don't care for that. Um, Yeah, that's really had a sting to it when it came off. I'm going to make one of my lamps have an adorable mustache. And uh, now it's just going to... Well, listen, dear listeners, this is going to be something fun for all of you. If you're watching along, then as you go, as we continue to peel off pieces of these costumes, (laughs) uh, take a drink. Every time we remove an item, take a drink. Speaking of that... we don't remove too many because I am not wearing a shirt under this hoodie. Are you still wearing the dickie? I took the dickie off. Um... I did think about keeping it on, but I was like, no, let's just, and I took it off. And now uh, I feel exposed. I get that. Especially now without the mustache. But now I'm just, I have a, I have just a film. Yeah. A sticky film. Yep. Now we're just a couple of best friends sitting around in wig caps. <laughs> Again, it's Halloween, so it's different. This is Halloween. Um, what you drinking over there? Uh, I'm doing a, a Paradise Twist Pombe. Beautiful. What have yeah. I got? Ice cold glass of Kimmy C. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I like that for you. Yeah. Um, very quickly. Very, very yeah. quickly. I want to tell a very quick story that happened when we were recording uh, our one of our Patreon episodes a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, we uh, we did another cosplay because there's three this Halloween season for us, bringing our grand total of in cosplay season to five because we also do a Love Actually every year as well as one on my birthday. That was exact Christopher Walken to five. Like the, five. the way you said oh. it was it was perfect. Thank you. I'll, Without I'll meaning to be. Likely never perfect. recreate it. So... <laughs> So the last one that we did a couple weeks ago was our favorite Keanu moments. So we each chose our favorite moment. Christy's, of course, Keanu Reeves in the Rush Rush video. Of course. Mine, of course, Keanu Reeves as Johnny Utah shooting into the sky. Of course. Now, when he's laying, laying on the ground. Now, for context, I had had what could basically be described as a biblically bad few weeks. And I don't need to get into all the reasons. Just just know that it was like anything that could go wrong went wrong. Get a flat tire. It takes two hours for AAA to get there. Hour and a half for AAA to get there. Um, you know, water heater that I had replaced in, in June. Busts again. Another massive bill. Uh, mix up with uh, the invoices for other work I had done. Um, the company chooses to put a lien on my home. It was all, and those are just, those are just some of them, right? This is, this is a lot. Yeah. So this day, it's mid-afternoon. 
We're about to record this this episode for Patreon. I am dressed as full Johnny Utah. I have fake blood all over my face. And you know what? I'm having a bit of a chuckle. Of course. Couldn't be. I'm delighted in what we're about to do. Doorbell rings. And I'm like, God damn it. And I look on my ring camera and I'm like, he's not leaving. It's not a delivery person. I inexplicably open the door and choose to open with saying, it's not a good time. Which when you're covered in fake blood, I realize now maybe not the move. Long story short, this man is like, uh, you need to appear in court. This is a summons. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you are being called to appear in superior court. Now, dear listeners, I immediately started to hyperventilate. And for some reason, my initial assumption <laughs> was, and I said this to him, am I being called as a witness? I assumed immediately that something from the podcast, I was being called as a credible true crime. <laughs> I don't know. I love that. I mean, I don't love that. I don't either. I'm like, let's not go down that road. We can't start getting oh, called into no. to testify in court. Um, no. And he said, no, you're being sued. And I said, of course I am, because this is the kind of <laughs> week I've had, few weeks I've had. And I start to cry. And in that moment, I say to the man, I'm dressed like this for a work thing. <laughs> he goes, it's close enough to Halloween. I, I didn't think, uh, I wasn't too bothered by it. Anyway, I'm flipping through these documents looking for anything. And I'm like, it's got to be the wrong house. And then I find an address on there. It's my address. And I'm flipping through. And then finally I see a name and it's not my name. And it's a name I recognize that's been on mail that's been delivered to my house from an old occupant of this house. And so I said, sir, this isn't me. This isn't my name. This isn't mine. And I said, look, I can prove it. I'll go get my ID. And then I realized in that moment, I do. I look nothing like my ID. Nothing. And then he goes, listen, my job is to just drop this as a at a physical address. So if it isn't you, just throw it away and no harm, no foul. And I was like, but it isn't me. And he goes, sure. Sure it's not. Didn't believe me. Didn't believe me. Want to tell you, here's the follow-up. Christy doesn't know this yet. Came home today. What's waiting? A manila envelope. Unmarked. No return address. Addressed to that same name. Oh. I'm assuming the person may have missed the court date. Oh, I assume. That's going to escalate, folks. Anyway, the point is, happy Halloween, everyone. And that's what I said <laughs> as the man walked away. As the man walked away, I went, happy Halloween. Crying. Full crying. Yeah, look, not unlike a particular pissant set of ding-dong ditchers. <laughs> it showed up in a moment where you'd had your fill. I just couldn't. Yeah, I just couldn't. Oh, God. Anyway, just wanted to share that. We talked about that over on Patreon in the moment, obviously, in the record. But I was like, I think this one's worthy of the main feed. I think we got to I think we got to tell that story again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of all the things that could have happened, who saw that coming? It wasn't on my bingo card. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. None of it was. But none that one I was just like, it took about, without exaggeration, it took about six or seven hours before my heart rate finally went back to normal. Like it was, 
Because it's one of those, I'm like, the idea of getting sued. Oh, and they had said in the moment, like, it's about the car accident. That's what he said. And I was like, I I was just a flat tire because the timing of it, I had had a flat oh, tire two weeks prior. I was like, but I, who's suing me? AAA? The, the tow truck driver? I was like, it was only my car involved. I'm saying all this to him. Like, it was a terrible who's on first. Sure. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But listen, um, is there, I, it is Halloween. Yeah. And I've just told a creepy, scary story. Sure. Not monster-based, but, you know, sure. litigation-based. Um, did you have anything Halloween-themed or related that you wanted to bring up? Um, I mean, I could uh, talk Halloween things forever. Um, I did come up with a short game that we are absolutely not going to want to play. I'd love to know We're going to, but we're absolutely not going to want to play. Because what I've done, uh, there's only uh, four, four sets of this. Okay. Um, but I've come up with a Halloween edition Fuck, Mary Kill. Hell yes. You say that now. Oh, is it going to be one of these ones that unravels me? I can't wait. Well, just to give you an example of the first set. Remember your options of F, marry, and kill. Yep. You're, you're eligible bachelors. Pinhead. Oh. Pennywise. Oh. And Hannibal Lecter. You're a monster. Yeah. Just like your future husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. shoot. Okay. Yeah. Pin- yeah. Again, I told you, we're not going to, I thought of this idea and then I was like, that's the a terrible idea. Nobody's going to want to choose any of those options. And then I was like, well, obviously, then I have to push this. I don't. Okay. So Pennywise, Pinhead, and Hannibal Lecter. Correct. God. I mean, I think you got to, I think I got to marry Hannibal Lecter and just hope he doesn't eat me, you know? Like, at least then I know I'd have a life of good wine and like some... I don't know, maybe he'd take me to see some theater. I, I don't know. Like, that feels like, <laughs> of the three, I'm probably going to go with someone that's not an open demon, like a human, you know what I mean? And now you're asking just- me, do I want to kill Pennywise or Pinhead? And this is tough, because truthfully, as we all know, I want to kill them both. Um, I don't want to be sure. with a clown, and I certainly, certainly don't want to be with Pinhead. I used to have nightmares about him. They used to show those commercials early in the evening when we were kids. Constant. And it was terrifying. Freddy Krueger, too. I'm sure he's on a future one of these. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, (laughs) I don't know that I can... (laughs) You're going to love this. I don't know that I can sexualize Pennywise. Um, I'm thinking the more recent Pennywise. Of course. The God, if it was the Tim Curry one, I might fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> it can be any Pennywise no, you want. No, no. I'm going to go with the most recent Pennywise, and I cannot sexual sexualize that Pennywise. So I'm going to kill Pennywise, and I'm going to bone Pinhead. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, look. What is yours? What is your choice? Oh... Um, oh, God. I mean, 
it's so it's tough because yeah, I don't want to see Pinhead anytime ever. Ever. I don't want to roll over in the middle of the night to see that. I was hoping he'd take me from behind, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a pin cushion. <laughs> okay. Horrific. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can't handle clowns. Yeah. So I just, it's the, it's the problem of like, my instinct is kill the clown. But... I, I just, I can't see those pins. I can't, I don't want to see them ever. Um, So I think I'm with you on uh, kill Pinhead. But I said I was going to, me- I said I was going to F Pinhead. Did you? And then you were going to kill Pennywise? Yeah, the, oh. I can't sexualize that new Pennywise. There's a part of me, Pinhead, I don't want to sexualize him, but he has a bit of a, he's got a vibe. I respect that. Yeah. I think he'd be more serious about it. I feel like Pennywise is going to like, he's not going to take it serious. (laughs) (laughs) My concern is what if we're in the middle of boning? Yeah. And he does like a creepy clown laugh. I had to kill him. There's no way around it. I don't want to, I don't want to marry Hannibal Lecter also. Let's make that clear. Oh, yeah. Well, look, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm going to marry Hannibal Lecter. He's too pretentious for me anyway. But I love that that's my problem. At this point, you're avoiding (laughs) marrying a demon. It's the best you could ask for. You're right. You're right. Um, And then I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm going to kill Pinhead and I'm going to put on a blindfold and a set of headphones, a real nice quality noise canceling set of cans. And I'm going to show that clown the time of its life. <laughs> oh, my God. I told you this is the worst game. I'm living for it. I feel alive. You ready for your next uh, set of eligible bachelors? <laughs> to be honest, I've probably seen most of them on apps. So, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. Jigsaw. God damn it. Candyman. Oh, and Ghostface. Ghostface from the Scream movies? Correct. Ooh, this is a good one. I got to pull up a picture of Candyman. Is there a picture of Candyman? I think so. There is also a newer Candyman. So I don't know if that changes. Okay. Yeah, I need to... I don't know that I've ever seen Candyman, to be honest with you. Oh, he's... Oh, I haven't. With the, with the bees? Oh, I can't. There was something about a bee on the poster and I just couldn't do it. I don't know how to tell you this but he's handsome yeah (laughs) (laughs) what a couple of creeps yep i mean it's the wig caps oh yeah oh he's um tony something isn't he tony todd yes so this is Candyman in the reboot i guess I don't know if I'm saying no to that. I don't know his crimes. I also am not familiar with his crimes. You know what I mean? I'm not familiar with his crimes. Well, look, if it helps, as a spouse, you couldn't uh, testify against him anyway. You're right. You're right. Okay. This was good. This was helpful for me. I needed to get a visual on that. 
Um, the visual does help. The visual does help. Here's the thing. <sighs> I can't believe how I'm rationalizing this. Um, Jigsaw, he's going to plan a nice date. <laughs> Very detailed. <laughs> Very detailed. There's likely right. a scavenger hunt. Sure. You know. Um, Ghostface, there's a real possibility that it's Skeet Ulrich under there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand that in this scenario, I'm I'm assuming he's not taking off the costume. I'm assuming there's just going to be a little hole. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sizable. I love that you're assuming that Ghostface is packing. Um, <laughs> I have to assume that. This yeah. one's tough. You know what? Mm-hmm. I don't know Candyman's crimes again. That's that's part of this. I think he does he does have a hook, which seems very, very kind of violent and ghoulish. I think I'm gonna marry Jigsaw. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna bone Ghostface, and I'm gonna kill Candyman. Wow. <coughs> I'm gonna say it. We went far different. Wow. On this one. Wow. Um, keeping in mind that as I, as you were thinking of them, I immediately wrote down what my choices would be. Um, I'm killing Jigsaw because I can't. I mean, I'm, I'm, any one of these lives is going to be terrible. Like, make no mistake. (laughs) Correct. Correct. Um, uh, a Bonin Candyman. He's very attractive. And uh, I'm I'm gonna marry Ghostface in the hope that it's Stu Mocker, aka Matthew Lillard, because I uh, just finished rewatching the series uh, as you do at this time of year, um, and I, I there is a later movie um, that that doesn't mention uh, Stu and only mentions Billy Loomis, and it upset me. And right, I had some words, um, but I love I love Stu Mocker so. I get that. He's psychotic. But. I love the Joker. I get it. Hey. Oh, there we go. There we go. Are you ready for your next three? Please. Frankenstein. Classic. Swamp Thing. Ooh. Dracula. Okay. Frankenstein feels like... We're we're not gonna have the couch banter, of course. You know, of course. But probably love you like crazy. Sure. You know, Swamp sure. Thing. That's a mess. That's a mess. Oh yeah. Good luck. You got you got light colored sheets. Good luck. Good luck to you. Um, I also don't think I could sexualize Swamp Thing if I'm being 100 percent honest. Now Dracula. Sure. I mean, vampire is impossibly sexy. Yeah. You know. Doesn't leave the house during the day. Ideal. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, I'm worried that like then I would become a vampire and then I'd have to live my life. Like, you know, this is an arranged marriage. I'm not really interested in that. So I think think I'm going to marry Frankenstein. I'm going to bone Dracula and I'm going to kill Swamp Thing. Okay. I respect that. Yeah. Um, I decided kill Swamp Thing. Yeah. Because I, yep, same. I can't. Yep. Um, and then I opted. I'm go- I'm gonna bone Frankenstein because I just feel he'd be a tender lover. Um, and Dracula, for some reason, I'm gonna marry because it is so appealing 
the idea of not leaving the house. <laughs> I love to see that for you. It's constant ni- date nights in. Yes, please. Netflix and chill. Sure, he needs to run out in the middle of the night and get some blood, but that's neither here nor there. You can as be asleep. As, as long as my blood is in slurpy form, I can live. I can learn. Wow. I was so quick to agree to drink blood. Yeah. No one. I never even suggested that you were a part of it. <laughs> you, you, you leapt a few well, steps. I, I just assumed marrying him automatically meant I'd have to become one. Have to or kind of interested? We all like Twilight when it first came out. <laughs> well, as you know, I was hashtag Team Jacob, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Edward, you I mean, you know. Uh, terrifying, creepy. But I was in. Yeah, well. All right, lay this last one on me. I can't wait. I've got one final one. Please. I've gone classic. Okay. Jason. Oh. Freddy. Yeah. Michael Myers. Okay. I have a lot of very strong thoughts about this one. Okay. Jason, mother issues. That's not anything you want to marry into. That's going to be a nightmare. Freddie, don't know if I could look at him. Don't know if I could look at him for the rest of my life. Great call. You know? Great call. Michael Myers, also some familial issues. Um, Tall, strapping. Strapping. Yep. I'm going to kill Freddie. He haunted my nightmares as a child, and I don't uh, care for him. Yeah. I am going to bone... Oh, gosh. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. Again, I I knew we wouldn't want this. No. I. But I've given it to us. I'm going to switch what I initially thought. I'm going to bone Michael Myers and I'm going to marry Jason. I'm going to hope maybe that Jason's mother issues uh, soften him a little. So you're going to marry Jason. Yeah. Kill Freddie mm-hmm. and bone Michael Myers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I've I've gone with boning Jason, which I absolutely do not want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, killing Freddie because, to your point, I can't look at him. I can't hear those razor fingers ripping up my sheets at night. I can't. I want nothing to do with it yeah. in any way. Um, and I'm going to marry Michael Myers in the absolute hope that if I say it out loud to manifest it, It'll accidentally be Mike Myers. Not a bad idea. So. Solid logic. Yeah. Christy Oxborough, what a gift. A Halloween-themed game. <laughs> Couldn't yeah, love it more. why not? Why not? Listen. Uh, and listen, if you like content like that, go over to patreon.com slash cocktails. We do shit like that over there all the time. What a gift. This episode so much. is much anticipated. We're quivering with yeah. anticipation. It's, of course, the Supernatural Uncovered episode. The, the X-Files Uncovered episode was such a hit. You, uh, We got a lot of feedback. People really enjoyed that one. We thought, why not a Supernatural one? So Christy has taken over the research for this one. Uh, I did the X-Files one. She's doing Supernatural. 
Let me give you a little synopsis. If you're not familiar with Supernatural, don't worry. This is talking about the real life stories that connected the inspiration behind things. Spooky, scary Halloween. Thank you so much for that. I don't think that I can get away with it in this wig cap, but here I am. So, Oh, I think you can get away with anything in that wig cap. Bless you. Here we go. Supernatural is a fantasy drama TV series that ran from 2005 to 2020. It follows the Winchester brothers who travel across America hunting a variety of ghosts, monsters, and other creatures that go bump in the night. In this special episode, curated just for Halloween, Christy will take us through five Supernatural episodes discussing both the show as well as the legends behind some of the creepiest creatures that the Winchesters have ever been up against. So get ready to be creeped out because it's Halloween, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, look, um... I was very excited at the thought of going back to some older episodes that I haven't seen in years. Yeah. Um, as being part of the research. Yeah. Seeing uh, Sam and Dean over and over again. What a delight. Um, but it put it, and by it I mean myself, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself <laughs> for this episode. So I, uh, I am incredibly nervous um, about it. But uh, I have plans if it ends up being received in a pleasant way in any way to maybe do another one at some point that'll be more true crime based. But this one I specifically went for more Halloween feeling because it's Halloween. Of course. I know some people are uh, listening to earlier episodes and haven't gotten to this point yet. So by the time they hear this, it won't be Halloween, but it is what it is. But. Also, do I give a far too long synopsis about the series? I do. Do you remember my X-Files episode? I prattled on. I should have absolutely edited down and I refused. So you oh. do you, boo. This is this is going to be what it's going to be. Yep. Um, also, I can't believe it for what we look like and for everything we've said, an F. Mary Kill game with uh, horror movie characters. I can't believe I'm trying to give a serious disclaimer, but I will uh, for the sake of, uh, you know, because it it comes up multiple times. Mm -hmm. But uh, this episode will contain mentions of suicide, so trigger warning for those who need it. Um, Also, of course, with an episode of this nature, it goes without saying there will be spoilers about the Supernatural TV show. The episodes I'm mentioning today happened in the first two seasons which was over a decade ago, so I feel like it's safe. But there is a moment I could have done a very large reveal spoiler, and I chose not to. I also want to remind you, it was almost two decades ago. Yeah. The show started in 2005. Oh my God, you just went a little wild. I was trying. I I, I was like, I I didn't want to force it. 2005. Oh. Oh. Are you? naturally working on your walking impression i didn't think so but i i mean i'm not gonna fight it like if it just comes out of me organically like what else what am i supposed to do not do it oh no this is your only choice is to do it yeah when you have the gift you have the gift anyway my point is is that these episodes aired almost 20 years ago i don't think you need to worry about spoilers and uh you know otherwise ride the the toe of my boot 
Yeah. Look, doing my best. Doing great. So for those who are not familiar with the series, a brief overview. <laughs> it's not brief. <laughs> so Supernatural is a fantasy drama TV series that was created by Eric Kripke. It debuted in September uh, 2005 on the WB, which would become the CW in 2006. Supernatural follows the Winchester family and their family business, which they describe as saving people and hunting things. John Winchester, played beautifully by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, (laughs) Uh, makes it his life mission to hunt down the demon who killed his wife Mary in their own home. John struggles to raise his two sons, Sam and Dean, as he tracks down the demon, killing other creatures and monsters along the way. Sam and Dean are then forced to grow up too fast, alternating between living a life on the road and being left behind for days or weeks at a time. When Sam, played by Jared Padalecki, graduates from high school, he goes off to college to try and make a new life for himself. But when John goes missing during a hunt, Dean played by Jensen Ackles, enlists Sam's help to find their father. Along the way, Sam and Dean follow in their father's footsteps and save strangers from a variety of monsters. The show, which was mostly filmed in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, ran for 15 seasons until the finale on November 19th, 2020. Fun fact, the show was in development for nearly 10 years before its debut. The original idea was to be an anthology series featuring tabloid reporters driving across the country fighting demons. When the idea was first pitched to the network, they hated it. So Eric Kripke quickly pitched a different version that involved a ruggedly handsome pair of brothers, and the network was in. I actually don't think he specifically meant for the brothers to be ruggedly handsome, but that is certainly how they were cast. (laughs) Yes, I've lost it. Uh, Kripke said he pitched Sam and Dean as being like Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. Cute. Uh, At first, the episodes followed Sam and Dean as they hunted the monster of the week, like a werewolf, vampire, witches, that sort of thing. But over the years, the boys transitioned into fighting a larger, overarching big bad, like Lucifer, the yellow-eyed demon, or even God himself. As they waged battles against heaven and hell, they befriended a ragtag group of characters along the way. This group includes, but is not limited to, a fallen angel named Castiel, a sassy Blanche of a witch named Rowena, a timid, nerdy gamer named Charlie, a nervous teenage prophet named Kevin, a naive Nephilim named Jack, a goofy hunter-slash-werewolf named Garth, a sarcastic badass sheriff named Jody, and a curmudgeonly mentor named Bobby, who's gonna call you an idiot. But it's just because he cares about you and wants to keep you safe, but he'll never admit to that because feelings are lame. This is the best essay you've ever written, just know that. (laughs) I want you to know, I came alive. (laughs) I can see it in you. I can see it right now. I came alive. It took me back to the time in the... Uh, eighth or ninth grade when I did an essay about Kurt Cobain. Oh, it was the first time I was like, yes, I really want to write this down. Uh, so Supernatural features a deep love and loyalty to family that rivals anything in the Fast and Furious franchise. It also features a pristine 1967 black Chevy Impala named Baby, 
who belts out classic rock as she takes her boys from one mystery to the next. At its heart, Supernatural is 15 seasons and 327 episodes of salt circles, diner pie, Latin incantations, a lot of brooding, cheap-themed motel rooms, fake FBI agents with pop culture names, a trunk full of weapons, tattoos for protection, so much flannel, and terrifying things that go bump in the night. So with many episodes to choose from, it only seems fitting that we would start this journey off with Season 1, Episode 1, The Pilot Episode, which aired September 13th, 2005. It was written by the show's creator, Eric Kripke, and was directed by David Nutter, who has a long-standing history of directing TV pilots, including Dark Angel, which would also star uh, Jensen Ackles, um, Millennium, Arrow, Without a Trace, The Mentalist, and Smallville. Uh, This pilot episode was the only episode of the series to be filmed in Los Angeles, California. Interior night. (laughs) (laughs) What What a boob. Oh, not at all. I'm here for it. November 2nd, 1983. The Winchester's home in Lawrence, Kansas. Mary, played by Samantha Smith, wakes in the middle of the night to six-month-old Sam crying through the baby monitor. When she rolls over, Mary notices that her husband John is not there. Mary goes to Sam's room, where she sees the silhouette of a man standing in front of the crib. Believing the man is John, Mary turns to go back to bed, but is distracted by a lamp flickering down the hallway. When Mary gets closer to the light fixture, she looks downstairs and notices John asleep in front of the TV. Mary runs to Sam's room and John is awoken to the sounds of Mary screaming. John runs into the room and finds it empty, except for Sam, who is sleeping peacefully. As John stands there, blood droplets appear, and when John looks up, he finds Mary sprawled out, pinned to the ceiling with a large knife wound to her stomach. Mary's body then bursts into flames, so John grabs Sam, hands him to Dean, who is only four years old at the time, and tells Dean to run outside. Dean rushes the baby outside as John runs back to save Mary, but soon the entire room is engulfed in flames and John is forced to leave. Sam's room then fully explodes. Cut to 22 years later. Sam is now attending Stanford University in Palo Alto, California. His girlfriend, Jess, played by Adrian Palicki, is trying to convince Sam to attend a Halloween party with her. We learn that Sam has recently taken the LSAT, or law school admission test, and he scored 174. According to the internet, a score of 170 or more is preferred for a top 10 level law school. We also learn that Sam has an interview with a law school a few days away, and he hasn't spoken to John or Dean in two years. Later that night, Sam wakes up to the sound of an intruder. When he goes downstairs, he discovers his brother Dean raiding the refrigerator. Classic Dean. Dean tells Sam, Dad's on a hunting trip, and he hasn't been home in a few days. As stated earlier in my synopsis of the series, after Mary's death, John became obsessed with hunting down the demon who killed his wife, and along the way, he trained his sons on how to hunt monsters. However, Sam just wants a normal life, hence why he went to Stanford in the first place, but now that Dean needs his help, Sam agrees 
for just the once, but on the only on the condition that he will be home to make that law school interview. Dean reluctantly agrees. Sam promises Jess that he'll be back. While on the road, the boys discuss the case that John was working on when he disappeared. Over the past 20 years, 10 men had gone missing while driving down Centennial Highway in Jericho, California. Not a real town. Cut to a guy in his late teens, early 20s-ish, named Troy, driving down Centennial Highway, talking to his girlfriend on his cell phone. Troy spots a gorgeous woman, played by the absolute stunning Sarah Shahi. Standing on the side of the road, Troy tells his girlfriend he'll call her back, pulls over to offer the woman a ride. When they get to the woman's house, Troy discovers it is run down, abandoned. It has not been lived in in decades. The woman says, I can never go home. And she disappears. Troy decides to leave. But when he looks in his rearview mirror, the woman appears in the back seat. He freaks out, slams on the brakes, stopping the car on a bridge. Then we hear Troy screaming and blood spatter his inner windshield. The following morning, Sam and Dean arrive in town and see multiple police cars at the bridge. Dean pulls out fake U.S. Marshals, a U.S. Marshals badge out of his glove compartment and uses it to get the deets from the local popo. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Wowzer. Wow. <laughs> That's the only way to describe it. Uh, he learns that Troy's car was found abandoned on the bridge, but there was no evidence of foul play and no sign of Troy anywhere. Dean and Sam speak to Troy's girlfriend and learn she last spoke to him while he was driving down Centennial Highway. Clearly, Troy fit the profile of the victims in the case that John was working on when he disappeared. The Winchesters learn a female ghost has been hitchhiking along the road and making any man who gives her a ride disappear. The ghost in this case was once a woman named Constance Welch. In 1981, after her two children mysteriously drowned, Constance jumped off the very same bridge where Troy's car was found. Sam and Dean then check into a nearby motel where they discover that their father checked in shortly before they did. They go to his room and find that John had left in a hurry, leaving all of his possessions behind, including his journal. That will come in uh, oh, yeah. handy. Uh, along the walls, John has hung up pictures from the case, and that is when Sam and Dean learn that Constance Welch is a woman in white, a spirit who haunts the highway, killing unfaithful men. It turns out that back in 1981, Constance discovered her husband was cheating on her, which caused her to suffer a mental break. Constance then drowned her two children and took her own life by jumping off the bridge. When Sam is later driving down the highway, Constance appears in his back seat and tries to entice him to be unfaithful. Sam refuses, because that's our Sammy. <laughs> Sammy! Thank you so much. Uh, and the ghost becomes grotesque and starts to attack Sam. Dean shoots at the creature as a distraction. Sam drives the car right through the front of that abandoned house, forcing Constance to finally go home. When inside, the spirits of Constance's children finally bring their mother to the spirit world. Dean drops Sam back off at Stanford. Sam hears the water running, so he assumes Jess is having a shower. Sam lies on the bed waiting for Jess when blood droplets start to fall on him. 
When he opens his eyes, he finds Jess sprawled out, pinned to the ceiling, with a large knife wound to her stomach. Jess bursts into flames as Dean runs into the room and pulls Sam out. Just like his father before him, Sam then becomes obsessed with hunting the creature who killed the woman he loved. Sam agrees to team up with Dean for the hunt, and the episode ends with Sam saying, We've got work to do. Hot. <laughs> I stand by what I've said. 100%. Uh, what I greatly enjoyed uh, about this episode is that not only does it feature the classic supernatural line, Driver picks the music, Shotgun shuts his cake hole. Classic. Uh, but it also made references to both Unsolved Mysteries and The X-Files. Which Hell felt yeah. very right. So now that I've gone way too long already. Not possible. We're going we're gonna to look at the legend of the woman in white. According to an October 2005 entry from John Winchester's journal, the Mexican legend goes that a beautiful princess, and I should have looked up how to say this, uh, named Dona... Luisa de Overos uh, fell deeply in love with a handsome nobleman. The couple had two children together, but he refused to marry her. He then left his family to marry another woman, and Dona Luisa went mad with rage and stabbed their two children. Uh, Dona Luisa was later found wandering the street, covered in blood and uncontrollably sobbing. She was charged with in infanticide and sent to the gallows legend has it that dona luisa has been forced to wander earth for eternity searching for her children in vain in the mexican lore she is known as la la yaroya la yarona which translates to the weeping woman similar legends exist worldwide of a beautiful woman in white who discovers her husband is unfaithful mentally snaps and kills her own children before taking her own life. She is often referred to as a woman in white, and once she is seen, she will often vanish into thin air. John Winchester found a woman in white in 1991 outside Durant, Oklahoma. He wrote, quote, Sometimes they are dressed in white, sometimes in a winding sheet or burial gown. They wail, they scream, sometimes they sing to signal the death that death approaches for some member of their household wherever they are heard. Jesus. According yeah. According to supernatural lore, women in white possess superhuman strength and speed and can shapeshift from the beautiful women that they were in their lifetime to horrific, decayed versions of themselves. But never fear, they can be destroyed with iron, salt, or simply burning the bones. <laughs> the woman in white is often combined with the legend of the vanishing hitchhiker as seen in the Supernatural episode. In that case, a driver picks up a hitchhiker who either disappears when the car passes a graveyard or they get to the address that the hitchhiker is given and it turns out to be some sort of abandoned building. Legends of the Vanishing Hitchhiker date back to a story in Sweden in 1602. Wowzer. Yeah. Uh, there's also a legend from Dallas in the 1940s called The Lady of the Lake, where a couple is parked at White Rock Lake. They turn the car headlights on and they see a beautiful girl soaking wet wearing a white dress. They offer her a ride, but when they get to her address, the girl has vanished and the only thing left behind is a puddle of water 
in their backseat. Yo, yo, yo. When the couple asks a person at the house about the woman, they discover the woman that a woman matching that description once lived at the address, but that she's been dead for several years. Why, well, she's been dead for several years. Right? I, I can't even imagine. Um, the main similarities and likely why the two are connected is the vanishing hitchhiker and the woman in white both suffered some sort of great tragedy and are forced to spend eternity trying to get home and not be able to get there, which is actually really heartbreaking. Yeah. So, episode two. Even though I've droned on long enough for one episode. Episode two. I'm transfixed. Again, I came alive this week. I stressed myself out, but I came alive. Episode two. Season one was called Wendigo. And it aired September 20th, 2005, was written by Eric Kripke, Ron Milbauer, and Terry Hughes Burton, and once again, directed by David Nutter. Picking right up where the first episode ended, Sam and Dean spend a week hunting for the demon who killed Sam's girlfriend, Jess. After coming up empty-handed, the boys decide to follow a set of coordinates they found in their father's journal. It leads them to Lost Creek Trail at Blackwater Ridge in Colorado, Although, fun fact, the actual coordinates that were written down would lead you to somewhere in Arizona. Oh, interesting. Not that I'm trying to fact check the boys, but you know what I'm saying. I like it. Uh, So when they arrive, they learn that three hitchhikers have gone missing during a camping trip. A girl named Haley, played by Gina Holden, informs the boys that one of the missing hikers is her brother, Tommy, and that she and her other brother, Ben, have hired a guide to take them up the trail to search for their missing brother. Haley shows Sam a cell phone video that Tommy had sent her during his trip. When Sam slows the video down, he notices a creature running in the background past Tommy's tent at an incredible speed. When Sam does a little deep dive on the area, he discovers that people have been going missing in those woods every 23 years, like clockwork. So Sam and Dean join the search party, which is being led by a hired guide named Roy, who is played by a man near and dear to both of our hearts, one and only Mr. Callum Keith Rennie. Hell yes. So Roy. Roy. uh, I know. Thank you so much. uh, Finds Tommy's campsite. Everything ripped to hell. Roy believes the hikers were attacked by a bear. But of course, we know if Sam and Dean are involved. This ain't no basic bear. No offense to bears. I didn't mean to call you basic. I also didn't mean not that a bear is listening. (laughs) There is so many bears right now that are like, this is bullshit. Oh, yeah. I've upset. I've probably upset a large demographic that we have that we didn't know. Our bear listeners. I know. Just put us on repeat when they hibernate. Yep. God, that'd be be great. Um, So they hear screams for help. But when they run to where the sound came from, no one is there. Using John's journal, Sam realizes the creature they are facing is a Wendigo, a human who was cut off from supplies during a harsh winter and forced to eat human flesh to survive. As a result, they are said to be cursed to wander the land, forever seeking to fulfill the voracious appetite for human flesh. And in supernatural lore, the Wendigo can mimic the sound's of their victims' voices. 
which is horrifying. Creepy. Um, so Sam and Dean know what they are up against, and they know guns are going to be useless. But hardened trail guide Roy continues to believe it's simply a bear. So when more cries for help are heard in the distance, Roy ignores Sam and Dean and runs further into the woods, where he is caught by the creature and pulled into the trees. No. Haley starts to give up hope that her brother would be alive, but Dean informs her that Wendigo, I mean, they're they're already terrifying enough, but when a Wendigo hibernates, they like to keep their food alive for long periods of time um, for the sake of, you know, hibernation snacks. God, that has to have brought the bears back, right? As our listeners... <laughs> Hibernation snacks? No. Uh, after discovering Roy's body in the trees, Haley and Dean are captured by the Wendigo. Sam finds them, along with Tommy, hanging from the ceiling of an abandoned mine. The creature can be heard in the background devouring one of the other hikers. Oh, God. Sam gets Haley and her brother to safety while Dean, ever the hero, uses a flare gun to draw the creature away before shooting it in the chest, watching it burst into flames. Once they reach safety, the group decides to tell the police it was simply a bear attack. And then, to quote Disney's A Goofy Movie, <laughs> Sam and Dean then get back out on the open road. <laughs> that was... I, this episode has some of everything. I'm just going to say it right now. <laughs> uh, how many people watched a, a Goofy Movie? How many people can sing every song from it? I, I don't know. It just wasn't necessary. Again, this this episode, I don't know what it's done to me. So, time for some episode fun facts. For this one, um, this episode was the first time in the series that someone refers to the family business as saving people and hunting things. Another fun fact is one of Tommy's hiking friends, who is only seen for like seconds at the beginning of the episode, was played by Corey Monteith. Hey, of course. May he rest. Of course. Um, and speaking of episode guest stars, featured in a small role, Canadian legend himself, Mr. Donnelly Rhodes, a.k.a. Doc Roberts from Danger Bay. Wow. Yeah. I loved Danger Bay. Agreed. Um, he was also in the original Battlestar Galactica and episodes of Empty Nest, Golden Girls, Cheers, Facts of Life, and Magnum P.I. Mr. Rhodes also makes an appearance in a Supernatural episode in Season 8, but he plays another character. Law and Order style. They start reusing actors eventually. Well, of course. I mean, he's multifaceted. You have to have him back as so many different people. I'm so sorry. Of course. I wasn't suggesting... <laughs> That he wasn't special. <laughs> I've become fully unhinged. Yeah, I love it. I really do. Uh, God. So, according to a December 1994 entry in John's journal, Wendigo is a perfect hunter with a heightened sense, speed, strength, power, and enhanced vision. He said they are cunning and not bound by moral restrictions or conventional restraints. They are ferocious, ravenous, evil, with the strength of a wild animal and the freedom to roam forest and hunt for live meat. Legends say that Wendigo can be found in Minnesota, 
the central regions of Canada, and in the forests surrounding the Great Lakes. Kenora, Ontario, Canada is said to be the Wendigo capital of the world. I do not want more information on that. No, thanks. <laughs> Can't think about it. Mm. In October 2019, a video was posted from the area featuring a pained scream or howl that lasted for like five minutes. There was no sign of what the creature was. Some have suggested it was simply a wolf. Others say they believe it was a Wendigo. Also, I know some people say Wendigo. I went with what the show said yeah. just to try and be consistent. Of course. Um, so a Wendigo is said to be created when a human resorts to cannibalism to survive after being stranded in harsh conditions. The name translates to the evil spirit that devours mankind. John's journal described the Wendigo as a gigantic spirit over 15 feet tall who can grow in size with every meal. They are lanky with glowing eyes, long yellow fangs, and an overly long tongue. They have sallow skin, matted hair, and are driven by hunger. The Algonquin describe it as a giant whose body is skeletal and deformed with no toes or lips and a heart made entirely of ice. The Ojibwa, Ojibwe mm -hmm. uh, say that it is, quote, a large creature as tall as a tree with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath uh, was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he once loved and feasting upon their flesh. Ojibwe teacher Basil Johnston said, quote, The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation, its desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones, with its bones pushing through against its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, its body unclean, it gave off strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition. There have been stories of a, of a Wendigo going back hundreds of years, there was a report, I mean, there were many, but there was a report written by Jesuit missionaries in 1661, and they wrote, quote, Those poor men were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They are afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, or nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them a more canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men like veritable werewolves and devour them voraciously without being able to appease their appetite. This ailment attacked our deputies and they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. In 1878, there was a documented case of what they're talking about, featuring a Plains Cree trapper named Swift Runner. He lived in Alberta. He was a married father of six, and in 1875, he served as a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police. During the winter of 1878, 
his family were starving, which led to the death of his eldest son. At some point, Swift Runners succumbed to what was later called Wendigo psychosis, which causes a person to have an intense craving for human flesh. It usually occurs during the winter where an individual is isolated for long periods of time. After his oldest died of starvation in the winter of 1878, Swift Runner took his wife, their remaining five children, his brother, and his mother-in-law out into the forest. Several months later, in spring, Swift Runner staggered out from the forest into a nearby Catholic mission where he said his entire family had starved to death over the winter. Over the next few days, Swift Runner had horrific nightmares where he would wake up screaming at the top of his lungs. Unsettled by Swift Runner's behavior, the priests eventually went to the police after they caught Swift Runner trying to lead a group of children into the woods. The police asked him to take them to the place where he and his family had camped for the winter, and when they arrived, they discovered bones everywhere, some broken in half, some hollowed out completely. There was also a pot full of human fat. Oh my god! Swift Runner was placed under arrest, and a trial was set for 1879. He confessed to eating his entire family... God. but said he only did so because he was possessed by an evil spirit. The jury deliberated for 20 minutes. Swift Runner was sentenced to death. He was executed in December 1879 and was allegedly the first man legally hanged in the province of Alberta. Wow. Um, I also can't mention uh, Wendigo legends without talking about Jack Fiddler, an OG Cree chief and shaman who lived in what is now northwestern Ontario. It is believed that Jack killed 14 Wendigo, which he believed were sent by enemy shaman. In 1906, Jack was arrested for the murder of an alleged Wendigo. He escaped captivity and hanged himself. He was 68 years old. His death led Canadian authorities to forcing Canadian law onto Jack's people, at the time, they were the last Aboriginal people living in North America who were completely under their own law. The OG Cree tribe petitioned against the changes, explaining that hunting a Wendigo is not murder. But sadly, um, they were forced to sign a treaty and then forced onto a reservation. I'm so sorry if you've heard some rustling over the last few minutes i have a cat that is chosen to just destroy any sense of peace what a rapscallion of course it's, it makes sense we're talking about the wendigo he's uh he's feeling emboldened Possessed. he's feeling emboldened yeah um listen this is fantastic could not love this more I want this break to go as quick as possible so we can get back into it. But for now, let's hit the can, grab another drink, and we're going to be right back with more on the Supernatural Uncovered episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. 
It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We are, of course, discussing... Supernatural, uncovered, what a romp, what a laugh, what a delight. What's next? Uh, possibly my heart stopping. I don't know. Again, <laughs> I've, I've never been nervous in uh, doing an episode uh, ever. You don't seem nervous uh, at all. And also, oh, I, I'm, I don't know why I'm you would be. Like a drum in my chest. Um, it's just, I have concerns. I know that Supernatural has a very, very specific following. Sure. And we have, we are passionate um, as fans sure. of the show. Yeah. And so I'm, I've just, I, for those, I need, I, I'm paranoid. I want to make it interesting for those who've never seen the show, but I want to do it justice for those who have, you know what I mean? I'm going to tell you a little something. I'm ill. You could read the phone book and we would all be transfixed. You know, I I never once thought of my voice as anything exciting, but the amount of times I get told, just read stuff. And you know what's amazing? I, for years, was told, your voice is amazing, just read stuff. We do this podcast, they're like, not interested. (laughs) And the joke is we sound so much alike, but listen, I get it. I'm happy to take a step back. You could read the audiobook if we wrote a book. You know what I mean? I'll give that to you. If. <laughs> Great point. Now I'm putting a now I'm putting a book on our uh on our docket. What docket? I, what I also like is your wig cap is just starting to slide back a little, which is really <laughs> I know, but then it exposes just how much of this is pale. And how much of this is not well, based on the drinking. And yes, it's starting to slide, but it's starting to pull the hair. And now I'm just like, let's slop, slop, slop it up. Who knows what's going to happen after the second break, folks? There's no way to know. Oh, I've refreshed my drink. I'm ready to go. <laughs> let's do this. I'm ready to go. What a mess of a human. So the third episode uh, that I'm bringing to you today is season one. Episode 17. It's called Hell House. It aired in March March 30th, 2006, making it the first episode of the series to air on a Thursday night because it took over the time slot of Everwood. Oh. Said it before, I'll say it again. Shout out, Treat Williams. Thank you. Uh, so the episode was written by Trey Calloway and was directed by Chris Long. Exterior night. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Richardson, Texas. A group of teenagers visit a house in the woods that they believe is haunted. 
They were told there was some sort of creature living in the house that seeks out girls and hangs them in the basement. When they discover the body of a girl hanging in a cellar, they quickly leave. But when the police arrive, the body is gone. Don, don, don. <laughs> Sorry. I was gonna. I was doing okay, <laughs> but then I caught a glimpse of that that wig cap and those bold eyebrows, <laughs> and somehow it just suit yep. that sound. Yep. So Sam and Dean interview one of the teenagers named Craig, who tell them about a legend of a man named Mordecai Murdoch, a farmer who lived in that house in the 1930s. Legend has it. Uh, because of a lack of food during the Depression, Mordecai killed all six of his daughters by hanging them in the cellar. Oh, my God. To spare them from starving. He then took his own life. Sam and Dean check the house and find symbols painted on the floors and floor and walls. While at the house, they meet Ed Zedmore and Harry Spangler, paranormal investigators who run a website called Hellhound's Lair. Zedmore and Spangler, of course being references to Ghostbusters. That's was I was writing that down right now. Yeah. Uh, Ed is played by A.J. Buckley, and Harry is Travis Wester. These two lovable goofs later do a reality show within the Supernatural series called Ghost Facers, which is introduced in a season three episode of the same name. The Ghost Facers make an appearance in five episodes throughout the series. Ghost Facers! If you know, you know. Yeah, but... Absolutely. Uh, Sam looks further into the Mordecai story and discovers that while Mordecai did exist, that he only had two children and both of them were sons. Believing the teenagers were lying, Sam and Dean decide to case or decide the case is a bust and they're going to leave town. Cut back to the woods late at night. Two teenagers are essentially bullying a girl into going inside the house. The girl gets attacked strung up by Mordecai, and when her body is found, police call it a suicide. Dean finally realizes uh, where he had seen one of the symbols that was in the house. Um, He goes to the record store where Craig works, and Dean points out that the symbol he recognized that was painted in the house was on the cover of an album by Blue Oyster Cult. Craig admits that he and his cousin Dana made the entire story up about Mordecai, and they used symbols from a theology textbook and literally anywhere they could find to make the house appear haunted. Craig and Dana then spread the fake story about Mordecai and the supposedly haunted house, and after the soon-to-be ghost facers write about it on their website, the story became real. Sam and Dean realized that Mordecai is a tulpa, which is a physical materialization of a thought. The idea of tulpas has Buddhist origins um, as a spralpa, which is the earthly body that the Buddha manifests to teach those who have not attained nirvana. And of course, one of the symbols that Craig and Dana had painted in the house was a Tibetan spirit sigil. Maybe pay attention to what symbols you're half-assedly using Mm. um with no guaranteed way to kill mordecai deed decides that if they can't kill him and he can't leave the house the best solution is to burn the house down does it work Uh, well the boys leave town and from the best i can tell mordecai never returns to an episode so i guess it did 
But a fun fact about the episode, <laughs> I can't believe I called it that and this is what I'm saying. It features the first shirtless scene for Jared Padalecki and was specifically written into the episode after countless fans begged Eric Kripke to show the Winchesters with less clothing. <laughs> wow. Um, according to an entry in John's journal in May 1993, tulpas are created through intense ritual visualizations, regardless as to the creator's intent. Basically, if enough people believe, it becomes real. According to John, a tulpa will eventually turn on its own creator. Because the tulpa is based on an idea, it can change and morph into different things as the idea itself changes. One very extreme example of a tulpa is the Slender Man. Oh, of course. In 2009, the online forum Something Awful held a contest asking users to Photoshop basic pictures and make them look paranormal. One guy named Eric Knudsen, Knudsen uh, submitted two black and white photos of children with a tall, thin, spectral figure in a black suit in the background. Eric called the creature Slender Man. People got so into it that they added to the legend, they put their own spin on it, giving life to a legend that did not exist. Some claimed that Slenderman had tentacles sprouting from his back. Others said he stalks children, causes amnesia. Uh, then in May 2014, Morgan Geyser and Anissa uh, Weir, uh, who were both just 12 years old, at the time, lured an 11-year-old classmate into the woods behind Morgan's home in Wisconsin. There, the two girls stabbed their classmate 19 times in what they claimed was a sacrifice intended to please Slenderman. Um, they were hoping that he would spare their families and then invite the girls to go live in his Slender Mansion, which is horrifying. Um the victim, who was left for dead, managed to crawl to a bike path where she was found by a passing cyclist. Two of the stab wounds hit major organs, and one missed a major artery by less than a millimeter. Oh my god. Miraculously, the girl survived and was released from the hospital just six days later. In August 2014, Morgan was ruled incompetent to stand trial after she was diagnosed with childhood-onset schizophrenia. But just four months later, both Morgan and her accomplice were ruled competent to stand trial after all. They both pleaded not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. The attackers were tried as adults. Both were found not guilty by mental disease or defect. They were committed to mental health facilities, with Anissa being sentenced to 25 years to life, Morgan being sentenced to 40 years to life, Anissa was released after seven years and will remain under supervision until she is 37 years old. Wow. And they aren't the only Slenderman crimes. A 16-year-old girl allegedly set her house on fire in Port Ritchie, Florida in September 2014, and in June of that same year, a 13-year-old girl allegedly attacked her mother with a knife in their kitchen in Hamilton County, Ohio. The girl later said she only did it to please Slenderman. The next episode of the day, Season 2, Episode 2, it's called Everybody Loves a Clown. <laughs> 
It aired October 5th, 2006, was written by John Sheban and directed by Phil Sagrigia. Sagrigia. Oof. My apologies to Phil, because that's a difficult name to say. Exterior Day. The Cooper Carnival in Medford, Wisconsin. A little girl is there with her parents when she waves to a seriously disturbing-looking clown. The girl sees the same clown on the side of the road waving to her as she and her parents drive home. Later that night, the girl sees that same creepy-ass clown waving at her outside her bedroom window. The girl goes to her front door and lets the clown in her house. Cut to... Some spoiler alert stuff about the show that isn't relevant to the episode, so I'm going to spare those who may have the hopes of watching the series. But I will say by this point in the series, we have learned the creature who killed Mary Winchester and Sam's girlfriend Jess was a yellow-eyed demon named Azazel. So, Sam and Dean have their father's phone. They hear a voicemail left by a woman named Ellen. Sam does a reverse search on the phone number, gets an address. They end up in the middle of nowhere at a roadhouse where they meet Ellen, who is played by Samantha Ferris, and her daughter, Joe, played by Alana Tall. Ellen tells the boys that she called their father to say she could help with the demon. Her friend, Ash, played by Chad Lindbergh, who is at this point sleeping on the pool table, uh, says he can help track the demon, but he needs time. So while they wait, Sam notices a file folder behind the bar that has a series of unsolved local crimes. He focuses on a few random murders that happened in a nearby town, which were allegedly committed by a clown. Including the family, from the opening of the episode, this is when we learn the daughter was left unharmed, but the parents were ripped to shreds. The girl told police the clown killed her parents and then disappeared. And this is the moment where we learn that Sam is deathly afraid of clowns. And you know what, Sammy? Same. Same. Uh, Since there were similar murders from another circus back in 1981, the boys believe that this killer clown has something to do with maybe a cursed object, as ghosts tend to stick to just one location, as opposed to moving around like that. Another child is befriended by that weird-ass clown who later goes into that kid's house and kills his parents. Sam and Dean decide to get close to the carnival, so they get jobs. Uh, I don't know what they did. They just suddenly had jackets and, like, earpieces, so I'm not sure what (laughs) role they were exactly playing. But they come across a kid who's saying to her mother, look at the clown, but there is absolutely nothing uh, where the girl is pointing. The boys follow the girl and her mother home, and late at night, they see the girl letting a clown into her house. Sam and Dean rush in battle the clown, shoot it with rock salt before it escapes out the window. The girl's parents come downstairs. There's Sam and Dean with weapons, a broken window. Uh, The parents obviously freak out. The boys flee the scene. Realizing that the deadly clown isn't a spirit, because, spoiler alert, boys and girls, a spirit would be, uh, would dissipate after rock salt. Um, Sam then calls Ellen just to ask advice. She suggests the clown is really a Rakshasa, a creature from Hindu mythology who feeds on human flesh. The creature can appear in human form, but can also make themselves invisible. 
They are incredibly fast, incredibly strong, and can only be killed by brass. Which feels random. Uh, They feed every 20 to 30 years and can only enter a home if they are invited. Sam and Dean discover that the Rakshasa is posing as a blind knife thrower with the carnival. The boys chase the creature into a funhouse where Sam stabs it with a broken brass organ pipe. The creature becomes a pile of dust. The episode is dedicated to the memory of Peter Ellis, who directed two episodes of the show in season one. Uh, He passed away in April 2006 at the age of 58. A fun fact about the episode, it's the first appearance of Ash, Alan, and Joe, who all become kind of regulars throughout the series. The writer of this episode, John Sheban, wrote 66 episodes of The X-Files, starting with season three. So classic X-Files. He also wrote nine episodes of Supernatural. Uh, Another fun X-Files connection is that Ken Kramer, who played the carnival owner in the episode, appeared in three episodes of X-Files as different characters. And Chad Lindbergh, who plays Ash, was in an episode of the X-Files in season five as well as the first Fast and Furious movie, which is the second time I have brought up the Fast and the Furious without really meaning to. (laughs) Uh, Just to be clear, the second time today. I know I've brought it up multiple times. Countless. And the joke is, I don't really like them. Like, that's, that's not what this is. I don't know what this is. I don't know who she is today. Not the point. Point is, um, a Rakshasa was featured in an episode of the show The Night Stalker in 1974. And yes, after telling you about an episode that featured a killer clown, I could have turned this whole bit into something about John Wayne Gacy. But Lauren fully covered that one already. So if you're interested, check out episode 52. 52 feels like babies. Well, yeah, that that was the one that changed me forever. There was me well, pre-Gacy and post-Gacy. If you haven't listened, you, take you a listen. Had almost, you've had almost 100 episodes since then. <laughs> I've never been the same. <laughs> I've never gone back to old me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely get that. Yep. But, so I'm not going to focus on clowns. Um, I'm going to focus on the Rakshasa which is a creature from Hindu mythology. According to an entry in John's journal from May 1992, a Rakshasa is reincarnated from evil human beings. They possess brute strength and can shapeshift into various forms and make themselves invisible. For whatever reason, it was never specified, um, they sleep on a bed of dead insects. Feels unnecessary. Absolutely. Uh, Legend says that the Rakshasa were banished from the realm of the gods and forced to live on Earth because of their bloodthirsty attitudes. They are described as hideous, incredibly tall, with limbs twice as thick as humans. They have a set of curved fangs, poisonous claws, two bull-like horns, and glowing eyes. Legends also say that Rakshasa can fly, spit fire, and possess dead bodies. Yeah. Not. Nope. No, thank you. Nope. 
Some people believe that rakshasas hide inside the hearts of humans to make them do their bidding, which creeps me out to another level. Um, There is documentation of these creatures being referenced as far back as 1100 BC. Uh, According to an ancient Hindu text, there was once an entire kingdom of rakshasas on an island called Lanka. They were ruled by King Ravana, a 10-headed, 20-armed monster who was 10 times more ferocious than his followers. After the king abducted a woman um, named Sita... Her husband, Rama, who happened to be a warrior, stormed the island, killed the king, and kind of took over the island. And yes, that was a long time ago. Um, But something more recent, maybe. Um, Like, how about June 2021? An unnamed man in a small town in northern India posted a story about an experience that he had. About six months after he moved in, he woke up around 2 a.m., to what he described as a blood-curdling scream coming from outside. He said it was a mix of a howl and a scream, and he had never heard anything like it before. When he looked outside, he said that he saw a canine-like creature that stood about 10 feet tall, running at an intensely high speed on two legs. The creature stopped, looked at the man, and then kept running. The following day, he asked a neighbor about the sound, and the neighbor suggested it was probably a rakshasa. The neighbor then added that those creatures are known to haunt whoever they lay their eyes upon. So to the gentleman, I say, good luck ever sleeping again, (laughs) sir. Yeah, for real. And one of the more terrifying parts of this story is the neighbor didn't seem concerned in any way about the noise. Because the neighbor said that loud, inhumane screaming sounds were a common occurrence in their area. Oh. Nothing, nothing would make me move faster. Yeah, I think I'm good on that. I think I'd probably be like, just going to sneak. Yeah. Hard pass. It's, can you imagine telling somebody, oh my God, I heard this scream. It was horrific. I've never heard anything like it. And their response to be like, oh, happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's chilling. It's probably this like horrific creature from mythology, no bigs. (laughs) What? No thanks. No. Anyhow. Um but finally, the last supernatural episode of the day is season two, episode twenty. It was called What Is and What Should Never Be. It aired May 3rd, 2007. It was written by Ray Al Tucker and directed by Eric Kripke himself. Exterior night. Dean is driving down the highway when he receives a call from Sam. Sam says that based on his research, he believes they're hunting a jinn. Dean says he's going to check out a nearby abandoned warehouse, but he'd report back ASAP. But when Dean goes inside, he's attacked by a creepy gray human-like creature with glowing blue tattoos. And the next thing Dean knows, he wakes up in an unfamiliar bed next to an unfamiliar woman. He calls Sam, who seems to think that Dean is drunk. Dean ends up going to his childhood home, where he discovers 
his mother is alive. It is said that John Winchester died of a stroke years prior. Dean realizes that the Jin has thrust him into some sort of alternate reality where his mother is still alive, Sam is in law school, and Sam's girlfriend Jess is not only alive, but now engaged to Sam. But everything isn't sunshine and rainbows. It turns out that Sam and Dean's relationship is distant at best, and Dean starts to see visions of people he had saved in reality, realizing that by living in this one, he didn't actually save those people, and uh, it's just a horror show uh, for his psyche. Uh, Dean decides to head to the abandoned house where he had found the Jin in the other reality, Sam reluctantly tags along. They discover the Jin doesn't actually grant people wishes, but instead just makes them believe that it has. In reality, the people who think that they were given this gift of this whatever their heart desires, in reality, they're hanging from a ceiling in that creepy-ass warehouse, and the Jin is feeding on their blood. But in the victims' minds, they're living the life of their dreams. Mary, Sam, Jess, and Dean's dream girlfriend then surround Dean and try to talk him into staying in this reality, even though it's not real. And I know it's a TV show, but it's just so incredibly unfair to make Dean give up a normal life to save strangers from monsters that they didn't even know existed in the first place. It feels outright cruel to show him what his life could have been and then force him to choose the shitty, sad reality over the dream. But ever the hero, <laughs> Dean knows if he doesn't save these people, no one else will. So he stabs himself with a silver knife dipped in lamb's blood. I don't have time to get into that. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, yeah. And then he's thrust back into reality where he is hanging from the ceiling of that abandoned warehouse. Sam arrives, starts to cut the ropes around Dean's wrists, but is interrupted by the Jin. Sam and, Dean, Sam and the, the Jin fight. Dean is frantically trying to release himself from the restraints, just as the Jin has Sam pinned to the ground. Dean comes up from behind, stabs the Jin in the back. Then there's some emotional stuff about the brothers preferring the shitty reality because at least there they're close. But that's not relevant to this episode. So, fun fact, the title of that specific episode is a reference to a Led Zeppelin song of the same name. Mm. So according to John's journal on November 2nd, 1999, the 16th anniversary of Mary's death, John said that jinns are the spirits of vanished people who brought disease and insanity at night. They were created before humans, and they have since become very resentful that humans kind of took over the world. John also claimed that jinn are usually invisible, and they can manifest themselves into a variety of forms. There are also a variety of jinns, each one with the ability to control a different element, for example, a Merid is a jinn that can control water. Um, putting it very simply, what is called a jinn, everybody kind of would know as a genie. Um, and I'm sure most, when we think of the word genie, we immediately think 
of the Disney classic Aladdin Mm -hmm. and just how much Robin Williams completely nailed that role. But in pre-Islamic mythology, it states that the jinn can shapeshift, appearing as anything from humans to animals, even insects. They are mentioned in the Quran as non-material beings who have free will. Legend has it that the jinn are made of smokeless fire, and they are similar to humans as they go back and forth between good and evil. Jinn are said to be able to transcend the boundaries of the physical world by going back and forth, from their realm to ours. Some believe they're capable of human possession. Uh, They are often considered to be tricksters who have a preference for wreaking havoc on people's minds by whispering to them and confusing them. Some people have even claimed to have had encounters with jinn themselves. One woman said her mother-in-law was in bed when she looked over and saw a woman with long, pointy fingers and a sharp, angular face. That woman was sitting in the chair next to the bed. The mother-in-law said she was used to seeing jinns in her home, and at this point, she was kind of frustrated with how often they would show up. So the mother-in-law grabbed the jinn by the wrist and screamed at it to get out. The jinn started pulling its wrist away and then tried to bite, the mother-in-law's hand, and the second the mother-in-law let go, the jinn disappeared. I also cannot imagine a world where I live somewhere that creatures, like mystical, magical, terrifying creatures, show up at my house so much that I'm no longer scared. I'm just pissed. You're like, bring something. If you're going to come, bring a bottle. Bring a bring a charcuterie. Sure. Sure. Get out of here. Now, if those creatures were ding-dong ditching me, <laughs> then, uh, then I understand. Different story. Different story. So, um, another story um, involving a jinn um, was at a boarding school. A girl said that there were multiple bullies at the school, and one time a bully broke a necklace belonging to a female student. The moment the necklace was broken... The female student who owned it, her body started to contort into strange positions, and she started speaking with this deep male voice that said she was a jinn who had traveled from a faraway place. In that moment, the bully's tongue started to swell up so much that she was struggling to breathe. Teachers were called in, and when the student's parents were called, they were not surprised about this whole oh my God, our daughter started acting like a jinn sort of situation. They said that the necklace that was broken, they actually bought it from a shaman with the specific purpose that it would hold a jinn. And they put it on their child? That was a sound so high, it didn't even register an octave. Um, Yeah, I don't understand it. Why would they want a creature who's known to be mischievous attached to their daughter. I need to believe in some world that they thought that it would protect her because I cannot see another world (laughs) where that makes sense. So um, then there's another, a man went to visit his cousins in India. It was summertime, so they decided to sleep outside in the courtyard. The man was told he could sleep anywhere he wanted except for one specific corner When he asked about it, he was told, 
oh, well, the jinn sleep there. They don't like to be disturbed. The man was a non-believer, so he chose to sleep there anyway. And when he woke the next morning, he discovered he was on the opposite side of the courtyard. Assuming his cousins had moved him in his sleep as a prank, the man decided he's going to sleep in that very same spot the next night. This time, he wrote a note and left it next to his pillow. It read, stop pranking me. The man woke early the next morning to someone shoving him off his bed. The note, uh, which was left by his pillow, was thrown into his lap, and his bedding was thrown up into the air. And even though it was light enough out that the man could see everything clearly, there was no one there when these things were flying about. Of course. Now, before I let you go, I want to give you a final fun fact about the Supernatural series. Creator Eric Kripke chose Lawrence, Kansas as the Winchester's hometown because of its proximity to the Stull Cemetery. I'm listening. Which has been described by some as the gateway to hell. Wowzer! Yeah, yeah. Uh, A 1980 article in the Kansas City Times told the story of a stable hand who allegedly stabbed a man in the cemetery's old stone barn in the 1850s. That barn was converted into a church in 1867, but was gutted by a fire soon after and stood vacant since 1922. A wooden crucifix remained on the wall. However, it is said that it turned upside down anytime someone would enter the building after midnight. Legend has it that if you counted more than seven windows on that building, you were in danger. And at the time, it was said that no bottle thrown at the church would break, no matter how hard it was thrown. In 1966, the last remnants of the roof blew off. But legend has it, No rain will fall inside that church. In March 2002, the church was demolished, but no one knows how it happened. The people who owned the land said they never authorized anyone to destroy it. They just kind of one day, it was completely on the ground. Wow. There are legends about the church and the cemetery going back more than 100 years, including one that claims that the cemetery is one of two places on Earth where the devil appears in person two nights a year. The second location is said to be a desolate plain in India. It is said that on the nights of the spring equinox and Halloween, the Earth opens up to reveal an endless staircase that the devil uses to visit Earth. It is said the devil appears so he may gather the people buried there who died from a violent death over the past year, and so that he may also visit a witch who is buried there. Rumors say that an old tree in the cemetery was once used as gallows for condemned witches. In November 1974, the University of Kansas student newspaper published an article claiming that Stull Cemetery was haunted by legends of diabolical supernatural happenings. Some have claimed to have experienced memory loss when visiting the site, 
one student claimed that their arm was grabbed by an unseen force. While visiting the cemetery, two young men became overwhelmed when an intense wind started blowing out of nowhere. When they made it back to their car, they found that not only had their car been moved to the other side of the road, it was now facing the opposite direction. Another man also claimed to have experienced the wind. However, he said it no he noticed it inside the abandoned church. The man said the wind was so strong it knocked him down and left him pinned to the floor for several minutes. Many stall locals dismiss these stories as just stories, but as we learned earlier in this episode, we know it's possible for something to become real. If enough people believe. Reporting for this spooky supernatural love fest, I'm your bitch, Christy. What a true gift in all of our <laughs> lives. Ugh. I've got so many things I want to talk about. So let's take one more break, hit the can again, grab one more drink, and we're going to be back with our final thoughts, feelings, reflections on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing Christie's fantastic opus, Supernatural Uncovered. What a gift in all of our lives. Oh, so much to talk about. Okay. Um, I'm going to try and go through these notes as quick as possible. So here's a Hollywood fun fact. Oh. You mentioned that the gentleman who directed the pilot of Supernatural directed the pilot of many television shows. I didn't get his name down quick enough because I was trying to write down my Hollywood fun fact. Oh, I can't. Here's something people don't know. Directors get paid an incentive if you direct a pilot that gets picked up to series. So if you direct the pilot and it gets picked up to series, you will get a cut of the entire series because the idea being that it's like, well, you directed the pilot and then it got picked up. You made the people... You made the people love it. Right. Kind of. Now, listen, would I argue that everyone involved deserves some sort of bonus or cut of the future series? Absolutely. But that's not what we're here to talk about right now. What we're talking about right now is my fun fact. So it's interesting because it seems as though he probably got whatever the first pilot was that did very well. 
And then he kind of got known for it. And it seems, I mean, my point is, is that that man might be the richest man in Hollywood or the richest TV director in Hollywood. Because when you have a cut of every episode of the series that is made after that, and he has multiple. That went for years. Exactly. Like that's, it would be astronomical. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Just the director, huh? Yeah. I'm sure producers too, but I I don't know the ins and outs of that. Um, But there you go. There's a Hollywood fun fact. Um, I like that. LSAT. This is the first time I've ever known what that stood for. Didn't know (laughs) that I thought it was law SAT, meaning like the SATs. But then if you asked me. Same. Right? And then if you asked me what. No joke. Same. Right? Then if you asked me what SAT stands for, I'd say. Standardized academic test. I don't know. <laughs> yep. Wow. It's just yep. it just feels so simple. I was like, that's really yeah. feeling making me feel like a ding dong. Um, here's a question. Now, I love supernatural and I don't want to say anything negative, but one question I have, and I'm sure yes. we're gonna get letters who will explain to me why I'm wrong. Okay. I welcome it. We believe, given what we know, now this is this is if, we, if you've watched the entire series. Of course. We see flashbacks and we hear about flashbacks where Sam and Dean yes. as kids were living in motels. John would disappear for weeks at a time. He'd leave them yes. and say, don't go outside. He'd, you know, they'd have like live off of cereal and watching TV. Um, yes. We know this to be true. Do we believe that Sam would... Be able to be get that in, smart. To not, not not be that smart. I believe he could be that smart. But do we believe he could get into Stanford? I don't even know that Stanford is insane. Yeah. I don't know that these Forgive boys me for how have, I said for being that smart. But yeah, I don't believe that these boys have high school diplomas. They weren't they weren't enrolled because they there's there's reference. I believe. Please give me a break if I'm getting these details wrong. But from what I remember, it's like they were always getting enrolled in new schools. There'd be chunks of time where they weren't going into school. Like, I just don't know that I buy that there would be the kind of transcript that you would need to potentially even graduate high school, let alone get into Stanford. Yeah. Oh, that is a valid point. It's It was, again, I... I don't care. It's not like it affects my enjoyment of the show. It's not a real sure. criticism. It was just as you were talking sure. about it, I started to think about the fact that I was like, would those boys, like, would he have really, anyway, just something to think about. Um, it just feels like, would that kid have really gone home at the end of the day and been doing his homework? Well, there would was no one policing it. Well, except Dean. Well, Dean was policing it. But they I just don't know that they were in a school long enough. Like, they were constantly getting new identities. Like, there wouldn't be a yeah. transcript for Sam Winchester that showed his entire... Like, I guess the idea could be that they forged it. Maybe. But yeah, Stanford was a lofty goal. I just don't know how that would physically happen unless there was a period in, of their high school years that we didn't see where they really buckled down and stayed in one town and and he really worked on school, which I guess is possible. It's possible. I think maybe for them, they were just like, we want to show how different Sam is from the life. And what do you think of when you think of impressive Stanford, Harvard, 
one of those types of things. And they were like, that makes complete sense because Stanford is so much further from hometown Kansas than anywhere else. So I think that's why they went with it. But yeah, it's the it's one the of, logistics there. There's some logistics again, because late. I think it's just one of the, those symptoms of like seasons in whatever, 10 seasons in or something. Then we learn more about their childhood and we learn that they were often displaced and not going to school. It's like, did you forget about your pilot? You know? It's, yeah. I mean, it was, there were a, there was so much backstory throughout where it was yes. like, here's the two of them in a motel. Here's Dean raising him. Um, I guess maybe Dean just did a great job. <laughs> maybe. Which is horrifying if you, like, really think about the fact that he's basically been doing it since he was four. Wow. It gives it through. Since the moment his father handed him that baby and said, get outside. And then it was like, well, he never put that baby down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You brought up uh, La Llorona. Yeah. Which the L, I believe, don't come for me if I'm wrong, but I believe uh, is actually a Y sound. And I know this sure. because in season one of Superstore, Dina sang a song called Ya Llorona. Hermoso Llorona. I have not played that or thought of it in years. Um, of course. But anyway, that's what made me think of that. Um, I like that a lot. Episode two picks up where the pilot left off. That would be one of those fun ones to try and look and see if there was any little flubs because there would have probably been a large amount of time between when the pilot was oh, filmed sure. and when episode two was filmed, which can be very stressful. And there's uh, on on TV. Here's another Hollywood fun fact. Um, there's meticulous note keeping kept. There is binders Ooh, upon like binders that. of like pictures of hair and makeup and wardrobe. If an outfit gets bloodied or whatever they they take meticulous notes so that everything can be recreated if they need to of course um and but that's also where there's a large kind of spectrum of issue sure um you use the term live meat and to that i say that means just just mammal i guess right yeah yeah how sad it does you mentioned ash gray of death I'd like that to be my wrestling name. (laughs) (laughs) These Mm -hmm. notes, by the way, they ain't getting much better. Um, (laughs) You use the term lovable goofs. I hope people say that about us. Oh, I I guarantee somebody does. I have to believe it. You brought up, uh, pay attention to the symbols that you're using. I said, yeah, Remember the Japanese character tattoo trend in like the late 90s, early oh, 2000s? sure. Where people yeah. were getting their these Japanese characters for certain words tattooed on them and then inevitably right. finding out, or Chinese, like um, inevitably yeah. finding out later that it never meant what you thought it did? Of course. Yeah. What a weird time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. Um, you said Rakshasha? Rakshasa? Rakshasa. Rakshasa. That made me yeah. think of shout out Mother Laurel. When she uh says hot chocolate, she'll often say hot shasha. Um 
if I may. Please. Why? <laughs> just just a cute thing, I guess. Sure. Okay, great. Yep. Um, you brought up Jin's. Yes. Every time you said Jin, I thought Ju, and then I thought like a roast beef dip sandwich. Of course. Of course. You know? I almost threw them. Don't worry. There's You're doing there's great. not a lot more. Uh okay, you talked about the church with no roof, but no rain would come in. Shout out Blind Melon and rest in peace, Shannon Hoon. One of my favorite bands of all time. Gone too soon. What a bop. What a song. <laughs> what a bop. <laughs> my final thought. You brought up that in uh, Stoll Cemetery, it's one of the two places on earth. One of the two places on earth that the devil shows up twice a year. Kansas, huh? That was my first question. Um, I, wow, in this moment, now I get, that's that's why Kansas does the does the song, isn't it? The band Kansas. It's a nod to them being from Kansas. I I never put that. Oh, that's where we're going. I've never put that together before. Oh, I guess I never considered it. I just assumed they wanted they wanted a seventies feel. Yeah, but I feel like it can't be a coincidence that it's the same. Oh, I'm sure it's anyway. Specifically plotted out. Yeah. My point is, okay, the devil shows up twice a year. First of all, that's a Comic-Con event waiting to happen. Second of all, um, it said the devil gathers people who died violent deaths. Here's what I want to say, and I just need to make this mm. very clear. I can't co-sign on the concept that if you die a violent death that you go to hell. I don't think that the way the manner in which you die is what dis- determines where you go. It has to be how you lived sure. your life. Because if we're to believe anyone who died a violent crime goes to hell, that my God, justice for the victims. I love that you assumed he showed up, took them with him and left. I just read it as he showed up and they basically had a party in that cemetery and he left. We look at things differently, you and I. I, I am a... Uh... I'm an innocent lamb. (laughs) Well, hopefully that innocent lamb didn't die a violent death or you're going to be carted off to hell. Yeah. Well, I mean, according to that. But I don't plan on being buried there. So we're fine. I also uh, did do a quick global search because I was curious why Kansas and why India. So I wondered, are they on like opposite poles? They are not. Mm. Because the opposite of Kansas is like in the middle of the, in the middle of an ocean. Mm. But that would have been so fucking cool if that had turned out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, this is GD fantastic. I don't know why you felt nervous (laughs) at all. You did it justice. You gave passion. You gave us info we didn't have before. Uh, You just made me want more. Well, speaking of more. Did you know that Jensen Ackles, a.k.a. Dean, originally read for the role of Sam? I did know that. What were they thinking? Also, if you're someone who loves the show and 
your most recent viewing would be the the last, say, five seasons, where it's like gruff and gritty. Go back to the original season, babies. That's what I was gonna say. I know it feels hard to believe that Jensen Ackles read for the Sam role, but I think if you go back to what they looked like at that time, I think he had such a sweet baby face that I could absolutely see him in that part. Oh, 100%. And he also, like, his voice is not nearly as deep and gravelly as it gets throughout the series. Yeah. Which... I think we all appreciate. Yep. But, you know. Absolutely. I just can't imagine any him playing anybody else. Like, he's Dean. Yeah. But I guess if it had been switched, I would have been like, well, he's been Sam the whole time. But. Yeah, I mean, I think it worked yeah. out obviously as it was meant to. It felt like that was definitely the, the dynamic that makes the most sense that people fell in love with so vehemently. Um, yeah. I can just see him getting... I could see him getting that audition. I could see him getting called in for that part. He was very pretty. Sure. Oh, my God. Eric Brady? A hundred percent, yes. It's the only reason that I watched Days of Our Lives. I know. I know. Because he was stunning. Not was. Was, is, will continue to be. Like, he just, he, <laughs> he is who he is. Yeah. Also, shout out Misha Collins. We haven't really we haven't really touched on him enough. Yes, I'm so sorry. I wanted to 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 do some um, episodes later on, but then I was like, if I'm dipping a toe, I need I want to stick to a certain thing, and I specifically was planning Halloween more creatures than other. I changed episodes multiple times. Yeah, no, it's been a journey. And you know what's great is that people are going to go nuts. They're going to ask for more, and then you're going to be able to give it to them. So fantastic work as always. Well, you were too kind. And look, if if people didn't enjoy it, we don't need to know. <laughs> don't ever need to know. No. 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 Yeah. Yep. Nope. Nope. Um, thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this wonderful journey. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails. On Twitter, I guess we're supposed to call it X now. Whatever. I don't. At Not Detectives. If you'd like some more content, go over to patreon.com slash True Crime and Cocktails to learn more about our subscription-based service over there. Uh, and of course, the only official place for official, it's an official place for official merch is truecrewmerch.com, so check that out as well if you haven't already. And I can't stop reminding yous, I got Christmas music out there. Give it a stream. It's on the Spotify. It's on the Apple Music. Sad this Christmas. Check it out. Help a gal live her dreams. Christy, do you want to say, uh, tell the people about next week's episode? On the next True Crime and Cocktails, Gladys Broadhurst. The mustache is back. <laughs> For that final, yeah, these final few moments. What a gift. Cannot wait for that next episode. Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Good night, Christopher Walken. Good night, Shannon Hoon. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. 
Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.